Hey, howdy, hey, Northridge family. Hope today finds you well. Um, we're going to start with prayer. And as always in this time, there's loads that we can pray for. We want to pray for our local state and our national leaders. We want to pray for our church and our church family. Pray for the other churches in Guyman. Pray for Nancy Schmidt, the, new, the CEO of Texas County Memorial Hospital, the staff and healthcare workers. Pray for Dan Stiles and the board and the staff and the residents of Dunaway Manor. Uh, pray for our teachers as they kind of try to figure out what's going on for next year and things along those lines. Our teachers, students, uh, local school boards. Pray for those in our community who are classified as the most vulnerable for the virus. Pray for those who are affected. Our numbers are still pretty high right now. So there's lots of people who are either directly affected or somebody in their family is affected. So be praying for them. Uh, pray for those who are anxious and fearful, which is probably many. And then pray that people would turn to Jesus. We always want to see people turn to Jesus anytime. But in a time of fear, time of anxiety, that's a time when they can find a strong and a steady refuge in Christ. Uh, I want to read to you from Psalm 24. It's our psalm, one of our psalms for today. And we'll pray. It says, The earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof, the world, and all they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Who hath ascended to the hill of the Lord, or who, hath, who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be ye lifted, ye everlasting doors, the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we come this morning and we do bow in your presence and surrender our lives to you. Lord, we live in a time where things are uncertain, where there's a lot going on we don't understand and we can't quite figure out all that's happening. But Lord, we know that this is your world. As the old song says, this is our Father's world. Uh, Lord, you own this world and everything within it is in your hands and in your care. So we trust in you. We trust, Lord, you're doing something we can't see in this time. We trust that our lives are in your care. We trust that, Lord, you're going to accomplish something to bring glory to your name and to advance your kingdom through this time and through what's going on. We rejoice to get to be your people. We rejoice to know you care for us. You're watching over us. Father, we want to be a people who experience the blessing of your presence. So, Lord, we do. We purify our lives. We cleanse our hands. We, we search ourselves to see if there's anything in us that's not as it ought to be. And, Lord, we ask you to, to search us as well. Show us where our lives are not all they ought to be. Help us to repent and to turn from it so we can live in light of your presence. We can know you're always with us. And Lord, we can just experience you daily in our lives. Father, there is much to be prayed for in this time. Much to, for you to, to intervene in. Much for us to lift up to you and leave in your capable hands. We ask you to guide President Trump and Governor Stitt and, and our city council and our county leaders, Father. Give them wisdom to make godly decisions and wise decisions. Give them counselors that would point them in the right direction. And Lord, where they make good and godly decisions, let those prosper. And where they make foolish and ungodly decisions, frustrate those so they don't come to pass. Guide the hospital and, and Nancy Schmidt. Guide the manor and Dan Stiles and the boards that have the, uh, that, that are over them. And give them wisdom, Lord. Help them as they care for those who are sick and those who are vulnerable. Uh, protect those in the manor, Lord. Let the, let the virus not get in there and not cause any more problems than it already has. Lord, guide our community. And let the numbers of positive cases drop drastically. Let it drop in such a way. Lord, it's evident our God is at work and our God is doing what only He can do. God, our church, as we make plans to move forward to resume in-person gatherings. God, the other churches in our community, as they make similar plans, give us wisdom. Help us to know what You'd have us to do and to do Your will in all things. And God, let our churches... Our church and the other churches, let us be lights in this community that shine brightly for Jesus. Make us all into beacons of hope so the people in our community would know that there is hope, help, and healing through Christ. Lord, that the churches would, 
would trumpet this, that we would declare this, we would never waver. The fact our God reigns and He can do all things. We love you, Lord. Have your way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when I was in the army, we, when we would get ready to deploy, there was a lot we had to do in order to prepare. Right? It wasn't just a matter of orders came down and now we're headed out into the woods or we're headed off to another place to do some training. There was a lot that went into preparing. Right? We knew the date of our deployment. We had a pretty good idea of what we were going to do once we were deployed. And, and so what we would do is, based upon the day we were going to deploy and based upon the missions we were going to be given, sort of packing list came down to us. These are the things you need to take to the field with you. If it's winter, you need one thing. If you're going to be in the city, you need one thing. If you're going to be out in the woods in the summer, you need something else. And so these packing lists would come down and it would give us time to prepare, to, to gather our packing list, to make sure we had what we needed to have. Then there would be inspections. Right, so we would gather together and we would lay out all of our stuff and, and that somebody like I was a squad leader, so I would check my squad and make sure everybody in my squad had all of the equipment they were supposed to have that was given to us so that we could deploy. There were planning sessions, right? We, we sat down and we had plans about here are the kinds of missions we're going to do. Here are the days we're going to do these kinds of missions based upon these kinds of uh, missions we're going to do. Here's some specific special equipment that you don't always carry, but you're going to need in this time. There, there was just an enormous amount of effort expended ensuring we were prepared to deploy on time. And, and these preparations were meant to ensure we could deploy. I mean, that was the purpose of it. Right, the, the packing and the planning and the meetings, none of that was just for the purpose of planning and packing and meetings. It was always so that at a certain point in time, we could deploy and go do the missions the army had given to us. Now, just as the preparations we did as soldiers were to prepare us to launch out and do the missions the army had given us, there are preparations we have to take as disciples of Jesus as we seek to move forward. Right? There, are just, there are preparations I'm going to have to make as an individual. There are preparations we'll have to make as families. And preparations we'll have to make as a church if we want to move forward. But as we make these preparations, we always have to remember the point of the preparations is always to move forward. Right? It's not to just plan. It's not to just prepare. It is so we can go forward and follow Jesus and do the things He would have us to do. We're going to learn from the book of Joshua today some things we need to do in order to prepare to move forward. So open your Bible, if you have it, to Joshua 1. I'm going to read verses 10 through 18. We'll end chapter 1 today. Uh, and, and here's what it says. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go and possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half of the tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, and all the mighty men of valor help them. And the Lord hath given your children, or your brethren, rest, as he hath given you rest. And then they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then you shall return to the land which is your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, and whithersoever thou sendest us we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so we will hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words, in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be thou strong and of a good courage. Title this morning is Preparing to Move Forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy 
of our devotion. We rejoice, Lord, at an opportunity to, to gather together in the way that we can so we can study Your Word. Lord, I know we're not together physically, but Lord, we are together. And what a, what a glorious time to be alive. A time when the technology is available so that when, when maybe it's not safe for us to gather together in person, we can still gather together as a church body, as a church family, and we can study Your Word and we can pray together. Father, today as we look at Your Word, we want to take from it all You have for us. We want it to, to sink deep into our hearts and bring forth the change You want it to bring. Lord, we, we don't want to be the same after this time in Your Word today. Lord, we, we don't want to be the same. We want to be changed. We want to be who You've saved us to be, who You've called us to be. We want to be like Jesus. So use this time today. Let Your Spirit move through the Word, through the camera, through our computers, through our phones. Let Him take the Word. Let Him speak it to our hearts and to our lives. Let Him convict us where we need convicting. Let Him challenge us where we need challenging. Let Him encourage us where we need encouraging. Let Him strengthen us where we need strengthening. Let Him just do whatever needs to be done in our lives so we will be closer to You, better able to go out and do Your will in all things. Oh God, we love You today. We rejoice in Your mercy and Your grace. We rejoice in the hope we have in Christ. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Build us up and send us out into our community. Let us go and make disciples of all nations. Let us go in the name of Jesus and the power of Your Spirit and do Your will in all things. We ask in the precious name of Christ our Savior. Amen. So God had called Joshua... To lead the people, cross the Jordan, go in to possess the land. What we see at the start of our text is Joshua goes to do it. He steps up, he takes charge, he calls the people to get prepared and move forward. I think I like this because Joshua doesn't hesitate to prepare the people to move forward. He doesn't explain all the reasons they can't go forward and take the land. He, he doesn't tell God, well you know Moses... Wasn't able to lead the people across. I don't know if I can. He doesn't tell God. But, but I'm not Moses. I'm not the one that went before Pharaoh. I, I don't know if I can do what you're calling me to do. He didn't tell God. You know God the people. They're not that different. I mean these are the kids. Of the ones who wouldn't go over before. They're still pretty stiff necked. He didn't tell God. There are still giants in the land. I mean, that the walls are still big, the nations are still strong, God, we, we just can't. Instead, what Joshua does, he doesn't make excuses, he doesn't give reasons, he doesn't seek delay, he immediately prepares the people to move forward. He begins to tell them what they need to do to be prepared to cross the river, possess the land that the Lord their God gave them. Now, the point of everything Joshua's doing in this passage. It's not just to give a rah-rah speech. It's not just to, to make it look like they're doing busy work. The point of these preparations is so the people will move forward. Right? It is time to take the promised land. It is time to stop walking in circles in the wilderness. It is time to move forward, following God, possess the land that the Lord their God has promised to give them. The goal of his speech is that they would move forward. Right? And so we prepare to move forward so we can move forward. In some ways this sounds so very overly simplistic. But it is accurate. I mean, that, that's, that is exactly what we see here. And it's exactly accurate in our lives. I mean, whether it's soldiers preparing for a deployment, whether it's an Israelite army preparing to cross the river and possess the land, whether it's us as an individual or our families or our church, the point of the preparations is actually to move us forward. We prepare so we can move forward. I mean, that's the goal of it all. 
And this passage shows us two ways. We prepare so we can move forward. The first is anticipate and cooperate with change. Anticipate and cooperate with change. So Joshua tells the people. He tells the leaders and he passes through and tells the people. And he says, one, get your get your victuals, your food. Uh, you have three days. We're going to pass over and we're going to possess the land. Right now. The, the part I, I want us to kind of hone in on is where he tells them to prepare your food. Now that can seem like a miscellaneous detail. But it's not. It's a really significant detail, actually. Because why are they preparing food? Well, let me ask you this. Prior to this point, how did God provide food for the people? He rained down manna from heaven in the morning. And they collected as much as they needed, except on Friday when they'd collect twice as much because no manna rained down on the Sabbath. But how long was the manna supposed to last? As long as they were in the wilderness. The moment that they crossed over the Jordan River and into the promised land, the manna was going to cease. Now, God was still going to provide for them, but it was going to be in a new way. It was going to be something different. He was going to do a new thing when they went into the promised land as opposed to what they had done for the last 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. And in order to, to prepare to move forward, they had to anticipate the change. The food's going to stop. And they had to cooperate with the change, pack the food they would need for the days ahead. We too must anticipate change and then cooperate with the change as we prepare to move forward. Now I know the idea of change is often scary for many people. I am a, a person who finds great comfort in my routines. I typically do the same things at the same time every single day of my life. I don't vary. Um, I've often joked that if you want me to be spontaneous, that's fine. You tell me in advance and I will schedule spontaneity in my schedule, right? I, I will plan it and put it in there. I don't like change. Yet change is a very real and a very necessary part of life. Scripture is actually filled with the idea of change. The only unchanging person in Scripture is Jesus, who Hebrews 13 and 8 tells us is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But here's the key you ain't Jesus, and I ain't Jesus. So we're not the same. We're not to be the same yesterday, today, forever. We change. God is always seeking to do a new thing in our lives in our families, and in our church. And I want to show you this. right? I'm going to spend some time and just show you the reality of what the Bible says about God doing a new thing and change being a natural and normal part of our lives as individuals, our lives as families, and our lives as a church. So Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, Remember ye not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a, a new thing. Right? And it will spring forth. You shall not know, shall you not know it. I'll even make a way in the wilderness. And rivers in the desert. God said remember. Or don't hold on. To the old things. To the past. Why? Because God is going to do a new thing. That's change. Right? I mean that's what that is. That is Change. So I want you to think about the different ways we see change as part of God doing a new thing in Scripture. So think about it on an individual level. Just thinking through some things last week as I was preparing the message, let me show you, tell you some of what Scripture says about change. Scripture says we are changed into a new creation. Scripture says we are changed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. Scripture says we are changed from being spiritually dead to having eternal life. Scripture says we are changed from being slaves to sin 
to slaves of righteousness. Scripture says we are changed from being controlled by our flesh to being controlled by the Spirit. Scripture says we are changed from a natural man to a spiritual man. Now all of that is change that happens at conversion. But then Scripture also says we are changed, continually changed from glory to glory in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. We are continually changed from glory to glory. The picture is God is always doing a new thing in our lives. He is always seeking to work in us and through us and for us so we will be ever more conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus. We can't hold on to the past. We can't stay the same. We can't not go forward and become like Jesus at the same time. We have to anticipate changes apart and then cooperate with the change the Word and the Spirit will work in our lives to help us be like Jesus. But it's not just in our lives as individuals, it's also in our family. What new thing was God doing in your family when He gave you a child? Or He gave you another child? Or another child? What new thing was God doing in your life and enabled your children to grow so they could go to school? And they then went into junior high. And then they went into high school. And then they graduated from high school. Then they went to college. And they graduated to college. What new thing was God doing in your life in all of those things? What new thing was God doing in your life when He enabled your child to have a spouse? Or He enabled your child to have a child? What new thing was God doing in your life when He provided a raise for you on your job? Or He provided a new and a better job for you? On and on we could go about the new things God has done in our families. Now, lest you say those are not necessarily God things, let me remind you of James 1 and 17. Every good gift, every perfect thing we have in our life comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow nor variableness. Every good thing we have is a gift from God. I mean, we could look at what the Bible says about that life and breath and all things. God gives us the ability to acquire wealth. Anything we have that's good, it is a gift from God. So anything that has been good that's happened in our family, that's God doing a new thing in our families. Change is a necessary part of our families. But it's not just in our lives as individuals, in our families. Change is also necessary in the life of the church. Now this one is important because often... What we hear is any sort of change in the church is a result of, of compromise. It's a result of departing from the old paths. It's a result of leaving the ways of Christ and conforming to the world. But, but is it? Is that true? Could we look at Scripture and can we find God working in His church to do a new thing Constantly. And we can. We don't have time to look at all of it, but we're going to just mention some things from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. On this day, the Holy Spirit fell on the church, and the people were told that the Holy Spirit was for all who would repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. This was a new thing. As in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came upon a select few. Prophets and priests and kings and the high priest and other very few but select people. Not only was the Holy Spirit for a select few, the Holy Spirit only stayed for a short time. Right? He did not come upon those people and live within them. But the Holy Spirit did not indwell the Old Testament saints as He indwells believers today. What God did, what Jesus did, what the Holy Spirit did on the day of Pentecost, coming upon all believers, living within them, was a new thing Jesus was doing in His church. 
But the new thing Jesus was doing in his church, it didn't end on the day of Pentecost. We could jump to Acts chapter 8 on the day Samaritans were added to the church. What was the relationship between Jews and Samaritans prior to Acts chapter 8? They had almost nothing to do with each other. They didn't like each other. The church in Acts chapter 8 prior to this was basically a Jewish only church. And many Jewish Christians felt that's the way it was supposed to stay. They weren't supposed to bring in anyone but Jewish people. But Jesus had other plans. Jesus saved the Samaritans. Jesus brought the Samaritans into his church because Jesus was doing a new thing in his church. But the new thing didn't stop with the Samaritans. Also in Acts chapter 8, we find eunuchs added to the church. Now this may seem odd. But did you know, according to Deuteronomy 22, 1 through 3, Leviticus 21, 18 through 20, eunuchs were excluded from temple worship. Eunuchs were not allowed to serve as priests and they were not to be admitted to the assembly of God's people at all. But then the Holy Spirit told Philip to go to a chariot where an Ethiopian eunuch was studying the book of Isaiah. And Philip joined himself with that chariot. He led that man to Jesus. He baptized him. And lo and behold, eunuchs could now be a part of the church. Why? Because Jesus was doing a new thing in his church. But the new thing doesn't stop there. Acts 10 and 11, Gentiles were added to the church. Now, while the temple did have a place for Gentiles to worship, they were never really accepted as, as part of the people of God. The, the church continued this practice up until Peter, under the direction of Jesus, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, went to a Gentile's house, preached the gospel to them, and witnessed the Holy Spirit fall on this group of Gentiles just as he did on the Jews on the day of Pentecost. This was such a radical change, such a departure, that when Peter went back, the people said, what are you doing? You can't go into a Gentile's house. You can't eat with them, Peter. They're not one of us. And so Peter tells the story. God, Jesus gave me a vision. He told me to do this. The Spirit went there. And when I preached, this is what happened. And they were amazed, they said, that apparently God had granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. Why? Why did this happen? Because Jesus was doing a new thing in His church. Now these are just a few examples of Jesus doing a new thing in His church. The Jesus who did new things then is the Jesus who does new things now. Jesus is always seeking to do a new thing in our lives. Jesus is always seeking to do a new thing in our families. Jesus is always seeking to do a new thing in our church. We have to anticipate change. And then we have to cooperate with the change. This is a part of preparing to move forward. We prepare to move forward so we can actually move forward. Secondly, so we anticipate and cooperate with change. And then secondly and, and finally, remember your commitment to Christ and be all in. Remember your commitment to Christ and be all in. So after telling the people to prepare, to anticipate and cooperate with the change, Joshua now goes to a group of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. And he tells them to remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded them. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, let me tell you what happened. In Numbers 32, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh went to Moses on the east side of the Jordan River. And they said, 
This land is good land. This land that they had conquered. They had taken it from a king and some other places. They said, this is good land. Why don't you just let us stay here? We, we won't claim an inheritance across the Jordan. We'll stay here with our families and our flocks and our, our herds. And Moses, Moses was said, he said, are you going to stay here? While your, while your brethren go across the war? And, and that's a whole message on its own. Read that. Think about what it means. Are you going to stay here while your brethren go off to war? He said, you'll discourage them. I mean, he, Moses is thinking, you stay here. They're going to, it's going to be a repeat. This last 40 years has been for nothing because nobody's going to go forward because of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half of tribe of Manasseh. But they said, no, 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 no. Here's what we'll do. You let us have this land. And when it's time to cross, we'll go. We'll go with you. We'll stay as long as it takes. We'll fight every battle there is to fight. And when, when all of Israel has possessed the land, and only then, we'll come back. And we won't have any inheritance over there. We'll leave and we'll just come back over here. And we'll settle in this area. So when Joshua says, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. This is what he's reminding them of. It's time for us to go over and you made a commitment. You made a commitment to Moses. You said, your wives and your little ones will stay here, but you'll go across. You'll go over there. You'll stay till we possess the land. You will go and you will fight until the battle is finished. And so Joshua reminds them in verses 12 and 13, 14. 15, then in verse 16, they say, All that thou commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. And they go on and talk about they're going to go wherever you send us. They're going to do what you say. We're all in. He reminded them of their commitment and they affirmed. We are all in. We are going to do exactly what we said we would do. Yes, we made that commitment. We will keep that commitment. And we'll stay until the land is conquered. And when you dismiss us, then we'll come back over here to our families. But we're in it for the long haul. We too, as we prepare to move forward, we too must remember our commitment to Jesus and be all in. Because when we came to Jesus to save us, we made a commitment to Him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When we confess Confessing the Lord Jesus is essentially confessing Jesus as Lord. So when we, Scripture says we are saved when we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our hearts, God has raised Him from the dead. Now the phrase Jesus is Lord was probably the earliest Christian confession of faith. And the Greek word translated as Lord in Romans 10 had two important meanings for the people who initially heard or read Paul's, Paul's letter to Rome. One was this was the normal title attributed to the Roman emperor, Caesar is Lord. Another use of the word was in the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. In all the places where it talks about the, the name of God, what we would say Yahweh or Jehovah, it was the same Greek word that's translated as Lord here. So when the, when the early church was saying Jesus is Lord, it was a very significant phrase. They were saying, one, well, Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. That was a big thing. And I don't really have time to get into it, but it was a big test of loyalty. In the time in which Paul wrote, people would burn a pinch of incense and they would say, Caesar is Lord. 
test of loyalty to the Roman government. Christians refused. Refused to do it because Caesar wasn't Lord. Jesus was. When they said Jesus is Lord, they were saying we have loyalty to no no earthly government, no earthly king. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Secondly, when they were saying Jesus is Lord, they were saying Jesus is who He claimed to be. He he is the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And they were also saying, since these things are true, since Jesus is Lord, He deserves preeminence in our lives. And it was a pledge to live for the glory of their King. They were confessing since Jesus was God in the flesh, and He was Lord, He would be Lord over their lives. One of the things I've become convinced of in recent years is how important it is for us to understand the Lordship of Christ. What it is when we say Jesus is Lord. The Lordship of Christ is, I believe, one of the most important and often least understood truths in Scripture. In order to be saved, we have to confess Jesus is Lord. That's a part of it. And when we confess Jesus is Lord in order to be saved, we are saying, I'm surrendering my life to you. I will live for your glory. I will do what you say. I will go where you want. We see the idea of the Lordship of Christ really all through the New Testament. Even even in Jesus' teaching. Now, He doesn't say, I'm Lord. So much as like that. But what does he say? If you want to be my disciple, what do you have to do? Deny yourself daily. Take up your cross. And follow me. I mean, that's a Jesus is Lord statement. That's exactly. In order to be his disciple, we had to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And the reason this is important is because so many people in our culture today want a Savior with no strings attached. They want to be forgiven of sin, but they don't want the one who does the forgiving to meddle in their lives in any way. Now, if they have a problem, they need him to come and intervene. But as long as they don't have a problem, they can handle their own morality. They can handle their own values. They can handle their own priorities. They can handle their own attitudes, their own actions, their own reactions, how they use their money, how they use their time. They can handle when to move forward, when to go back. They don't need Him to tell them what to do. The problem with this, the person in that picture is not Jesus. Jesus is Savior. Hallelujah. But Jesus is also Lord. He is both of those things. I cannot divide Jesus in half and say, I accept the Savior half of Jesus, but I reject Lord over my life. To receive Jesus is to receive Him as both Savior and Lord. Remember that commitment. Remember that commitment to Jesus as we prepare to move forward. We must remember Jesus is Lord. Not our preferences. Not our traditions. Not our comfort. Not our anything. Jesus is Lord. And when we came to Jesus, we confessed He is Lord. And that level of commitment makes absolute sense in light of what we're believing. We're believing He rose from the dead. That's a big deal. He rose from the dead never to die again. The the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that Jesus not only lived, but He lives. This is what part of what makes Him different from any other religious or political leader who ever lived or ever will live. He lived, He died, He lived again and lives forevermore. The resurrection of Jesus also reminds us about His death. See, Jesus didn't die of old age lying in a bed in peace and comfort. Jesus didn't die in a drive-by shooting or some random act of violence. Jesus died 
as a sacrifice for our sins. I mean, this was the purpose. This was the reason he came. He wasn't a martyr for the, for the cause. He wasn't poor, pitiful Jesus who did a lot of good things and the religious leaders, they were oppressive and they didn't like him. No, he came to be a sacrifice for your sin and mine. Right? You and I, we have sin. And the wages of our sin is death. Not, not physical death, not even necessarily just spiritual death, but eternal death. The Bible calls being cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. That is the second death. That hell is essentially the wage our sin has earned. So Jesus came and He lived a perfect, sinless life. And He did miracles and He taught great things and He helped people. And He was kind and loving and reached out to those the religious world rejected. He did so many amazing things and yet He was rejected by these religious people who should have been the first to acknowledge Him. He was abandoned by His own disciples in a moment of really when they, when, he, when they should have stayed. He was taken. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was mocked. He was humiliated. He was nailed to a cross. And the physical suffering, while intense, was not the greatest part of what Jesus experienced on the cross. For on the cross, all of our sin was, was poured out upon Jesus. All of the wrath of God against all of our sin was poured out upon Him. He, he essentially drank it up and He felt the full weight of your sin and mine. And He became a sin offering at that point. He, he endured hell on the cross in our place. And then He died he rose again. And we believe that. We believe the basis of our salvation is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's not because we turned over a new leaf. It's not because we've squared our lives away. It's not because we talk right or dress right or look right. It's because of what Jesus has done. And we have repented of our sins. We have believed upon Him. And His righteousness has been given to our account. Our sin has been taken away because of what He has done. Our standing before God is based entirely upon the, the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's what we believe. When we believe the resurrection of Jesus to be saved, that's what we believe. And a one who would do all of that for us. Well, he deserves the ultimate commitment of being Lord as well. He has earned it. He deserves it. He knows he's worthy of it. This is why Romans chapter 12, after calling on us on the, by the mercies of God, beseeching us by the mercies of God to give our lives as a living sacrifice, says this is your reasonable Service. What is the only reasonable response to the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf? Is it to say, no Lord, I'll not go forward with you? Is it to say, no Lord, I'll live for myself and do my own things? Is it to say, no Lord, I will determine what I do and when I do it and how I do it? No. That is an abominable response. The rational, reasonable response to what Jesus has done. And our belief in that is to say, Jesus is Lord. And to be all in on doing whatever it is He wants us to do, no matter what that would be. To live under the Lordship of Christ is not a burden. It is not a hardship. It is not an, an added, we get saved and we live for ourselves and one day we surrender to Christ as Lord. No! It is our rational, reasonable, joyous response to the One who has died on our behalf, risen again, and offers us eternal life in place of the eternal damnation we so richly deserve. To live under the Lordship of Jesus to follow Him forward when He leads us. 
to go where He wants us to go, to do what He wants us to do, to be who He wants us to be. To prepare. To move forward. So we can move forward. We have to remember our commitment to Jesus. And then be all in. I'm all in. I'm going to be who Jesus wants me to be. I'm all in. I'm going to lead my family in the way Jesus wants me to lead it. I'm all in. I'm going to, our church, we're going to do whatever Jesus would have us to do. We'll be whoever Jesus would have us to be. We're all in. One illustration and we'll, we'll close. Isaiah 6, one of my favorite passages. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. And when he sees the Lord in all of his glory, he falls down and he says, Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a sinful man in the midst of a sinful people. And the Lord sends an angel to grab a coal off the fire and to touch his tongue and to say, You're cleansed from your sins. And the Lord immediately says, Whom shall I go? Who will go before us? And Isaiah, not knowing the mission, Isaiah says, Me, pick me, here am I, send me. And the mission Isaiah was sent on was hard, it was long, it was difficult. But Isaiah, not knowing the mission, saying, here I am, send me, he was all in. That's what being all in looks like. Being all in is saying, right now in this moment, I, Stacy Ross, I as an individual, I will be whoever Jesus wants me to be. I will go wherever Jesus wants me to go. I will do whatever Jesus wants me to do. To say, our family, as much as lies within me, we will do what Jesus wants us to do. We will go where Jesus wants us to go. We will be who Jesus wants us to be. Our church, as much as lies in me, we will go where Jesus wants us to go. We will do what Jesus wants us to do. We will be what Jesus wants us to be. Without knowing what that is. Right? If I say, Jesus, tell me what your plan is. And I'll weigh the options. I'm not all in. Jesus isn't Lord. We must remember our commitment to Christ. And then be all in. That's a part of preparing to move forward. So we can move forward. So the question for us as we close. Am I, are you prepared to move forward? Are you anticipating and cooperating with whatever change Jesus wants to bring? Jesus came to bring change. He came to do a new thing. Not only change our eternal destinies, but change our day-to-day lives, who we are and how we are. Not just change us once, but change us over and over and over again. There is no question Jesus wants to bring change into each one of our lives right now today. There is no question Jesus wants to bring change into each one of our families right now today. There is no question Jesus wants to bring change into our church right now today. Are we anticipating that change and ready to cooperate with that no matter what it may be? Are you, am I, committed to Jesus As Lord. Commitment to Jesus as Lord doesn't mean moving forward won't be hard. It likely will be. The book of Joshua is filled with battles. Hard, long fought battles. It doesn't mean everything's going to make sense. Some of the things Joshua, God leads Joshua to do, they don't make good sense in the natural. Doesn't mean they might not be hard to accept things we'd rather not do. But none of that really matters. If Jesus is Lord, if I'm remembered and commit, remember my commitment to Him and all in for that, I'm going to do it when it's easy. I'm going to do it when it's hard. I'm going to do what makes sense. I'm going to do what doesn't. I'm going to do what I like. I'm going to do what I don't like. 
commitment to Jesus as Lord, it means we move forward when Jesus leads us forward, no matter what that looks like. We move forward as individuals. What does Jesus want you to do to move forward in your life today? What is a a change He wants to bring into your life right now? What does it look like for you to, to remember your commitment to Jesus and be all in in this area. We move forward as, as families. How does Jesus want to lead your family forward right now? What will it look like for your family to remember their commitment to Jesus and be all in to follow Him wherever He leads and in whatever He does? And we move forward as a church. How is Jesus leading our church forward? What will it look like for us as a church to remember our commitment to Christ and be all in to go where He wants us to go and do what He wants us to do? All of our preparations to move forward are essentially meaningless if we don't actually move forward. We prepare to move forward so we can move forward. Whatever way Jesus is leading you forward today, anticipate the change, cooperate with the change, remember your commitment to Him, and be all in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. God, when we think about what Christ has done on our behalf, how could we not be all in? How could we not cooperate with whatever change you want to bring into our life? When we think about Jesus, what he went through on our behalf, how could we expect there would not be change if we're going to be like him? Help us, Father, not to be naive, to think we can stay the same forever. Help us, Lord, to anticipate change is coming. In our lives, in our families, and in our church. And and guide us to be all in with Jesus. So we'll cooperate with Him in whatever He wants to do in us and through us and for us. Search us and try us today. Show us what it looks like for us as individuals and us as a family to move forward. And begin to show what it looks like for us as a church to move where you want us to be. To do what you want done. Have your way in all things we ask. In the precious name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.